0: Well, hey, we're in uh, week two of a series that we're calling Wise Guy. Somebody say, Wise Guy. We are going through the book of James, and uh, we're looking through this book to see what kind of wisdom James has to offer the church and what kind of wisdom he might have to offer us today. Uh, there's no doubt as we read the book of James that we could see that he was heavily influenced by the Jewish scriptures of wisdom, books like uh, Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and even some of the wisdom that we can draw from Job. And then, of course, he was the brother of Jesus, so how many of you know you might have some some wisdom in your pocket if you were a ways with Jesus as your brother. And the wisdom that he's giving is he's giving it to a church that's under persecution. They're a church that's been scattered and and um, they're struggling. They're going through lots of trials and temptations. And so James comes to them and he offers them wisdom. And he's trying to help them to understand how to adjust In their new norm. And uh, so he comes and brings a word to them, and, and it's kind of a strong word. And he's challenging them in this brand new environment by saying, Hey, church, don't slack, don't hold back, don't slow down, don't relax on your habits of serving and following Jesus. It is a time to press in and engage. Now, uh, James is very straight up. He's very to the point in this book. And, and one of the things we talked about last week is that this audience was not was an audience that they weren't in need of nurturing in this season of their life. They needed a coach. They needed someone who was going to kind of get up in their grill a little bit, challenge them and push them, not somebody who was going to patty cake them and and cuddle them and coddle them. And so they needed a coach. Now, uh, James wrote to this church because the church was kind of a lot like us today. They had a lot of problems, they had a a lot of struggles, and they had a lot of inner turmoil. Now, I know that, you know, you have none of those things, but the person next to you does, so, you know, give give everybody a break today. Well, we're going to kind of take a look. And uh, see what James has to say. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at a chunk of scripture. A lot of it was read this morning, so we won't go over all of it. Uh, I'll give you the scripture in a moment, and you guys can read kind of in your personal time. But the overall sum of what James is trying to say to this audience is because they were not living out the life that they profess to believe. Do you hear me? He was speaking to a group of people who were real big on their talk, but they were real little on their actions. If you missed last week's message, you can uh, listen on our podcast via our Apple podcast or Spotify. You could also watch it on the Church Center app or our YouTube channel. Our theme verse for this series comes from James 1 5. And here's what James 1 5 says. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he We'll give it to you, Uh, and he won't rebuke you for asking. Uh, God is very generous with help because he wants you to succeed. Uh, He wants you to be full of wisdom so that your life would be full. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for who you are. We pray today that your word would challenge our hearts. God, we pray today that you would prepare and ready our hearts for some coaching from your Holy Spirit. God, we pray today that you would allow our minds and our hearts to be changed and transformed by your word. We are in, in desperate need of you, and the good news declares that we have you. In Jesus' name, somebody say a big amen. amen. All right, now I'm gonna need a little bit of extra help today. You know, it's early, it's hot outside, so whenever you're feeling like, hey, that was a, something that was really good, that that hit me. In a really good way, you can say things like this, mmm, that's good. So let's try that out. One, two, three, mmm, that's good. And, you know, if it hits and it really hurts, then you could say, man, that hurt. Or let's try that. One, two, three. And then, um, man, if you're just like, man, the Holy Ghost just boom hits you, you'd be like, man, hallelujah. So let's try that. One, two, three. And then, you know, if you just need to give a really big amen, you can always do that. Big amen. So at a glance, as we're checking out James, especially this portion that we're going to read through today, it can kind of almost appear like James is anti-faith and pro-works. And uh, the truth is that if we read James this way, uh, it would be a very poor interpretation of James. Uh, Let me give you a little Bible study tip. Whenever you're reading scripture, make sure to not read into it what's not there. And in this case, it's the book of James because that's not there in the book of James. We also, when we approach Scripture, we have to approach it through the entire backdrop of all of Scripture. Uh, In this case, as James is super heavy on works, we also have to read it with the backdrop of the new covenant and our salvation by faith through grace. As the backdrop, as we read, Uh, you know, I can remember when I was uh, freed from religion several several years ago, and uh, I can remember that the good news of Jesus Christ it hit me so hard that I almost like came into just like a second revival. It was like I was saved all over again, and there were what I mean by that is there were many years that I was working really hard for my salvation. I was trying to get God to be approved of me and I was trying to get him to please me and and I wondered if I did enough things, would he he truly love me? Not just for that moment, would he love me forever? Would he love me like nobody else knows how to love me through the good? And through the bad. But see, religion tells you that you've got to work for his approval. You got to work for your salvation. You got to work for his love. And, and James comes and he settles a lot of these things, but I, I want to tell you what else also happened. When, when I got uh, freed from religion, something else happened uh, that I want to call like a religious trauma syndrome. Every time I was reading scripture and I found a word that reminded me of my own religious trauma, like the words like work or words like obedience, how many of you love the word obedience, uh, and then words like maybe striving or, uh, or, or, or things like old covenant, every time I would find words like that in scripture, I would kind of shriek a little bit because you know the, the old religious me would kind of freak out and the Holy Spirit had to help me understand in context What things like works is all about. And so today, I believe that he's going to help you. And if you carry any religious baggage in your life, uh, I think it's really important for us to be aware of our baggage so that when we approach scripture, it doesn't get in the way of scripture. How many think that that's helpful? We've got to remember that James was a contender in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council right alongside of Paul, contending for salvation by faith and not by works. And some people in the church, you know, we hold these, these two things, faith and works on as major extremes, and that's really a dangerous place to be. And some people that would maybe hold an extreme form of faith and no works at all would approach James and maybe they wouldn't even read James because they see it full of challenge for better works. But the truth is that James and the Apostle Paul, they don't differ at all on the topics of faith and works. In fact, when we read Ephesians 2 and 8, we actually read that nearly every Sunday. It says, uh, by grace through faith are we saved. Now, in one breath, Paul tells us that we're saved by faith. But just two verses later, in another breath, Paul says, but hey, now that you're saved, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to what? Do good works. Somebody say, good works. Somebody say, he's talking about me. Yeah, we just let's get personal. This message today is not for your neighbor. It's not for anybody else. Somebody say, it's for me. We got to understand that the writings of Paul and James are complementary towards one another, not contradictory towards one another. Uh, in other words, we've got to be sure as we approach Scripture that we understand that works don't save us, but we do works because we're saved. We do works out of obedience for Christ. Pastor Mike would sum it up like this. He would say, we don't work for salvation, but our works do prove our salvation. And James says a lot of things like this. So today in week two, we're going to be talking about wisdom and obedience. Somebody say obedience. Somebody say it like you actually like that word, obedience. Man, that's a tough word for a lot of people. Uh, it's a tough word for me. The word obedience. James lays out some amazing connections between wisdom and obedience. And write write this down if you if you don't have the notes pulled up. James one nineteen. James 1.19 all the way through two twenty six. That's the chunk of scripture we're going to be looking at today and read over it this week and mull over and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. But we're going to be using this chunk of scripture. And during these verses, James is speaking to this struggling audience because they are not reflecting the image of God to the world. They are not being a shining light. And he lays them out a really good plan to help them do better. And essentially he says, hey, live a more of an obedient life and you will reflect the image of God to the world. And James is really strong and he holds nothing back. Here's one of the things that I notice in this chunk of scripture. First, I notice he says it's wise in your notes to be obedient with our actions towards others. See, our actions towards others is a call for obedience from Scripture. It's not a recommendation for the people of God. It's a call from within to live with strong actions of faith towards others. We see this in James 1, 22 through 24. Here's what James says. He says, hey, don't merely listen to the word. How many know we're talking about the written word? We're talking about Jesus, who is the word. Don't listen to it and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. He says, don't listen to it and ignore it and deceive yourself like, like you're a good, strong, solid believer. Because when you do that, you, you deceive yourself. Verse 23, here's what he says. He says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at a mirror uh, and looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Ever been there before? Here's what James is saying. He's saying, too many of you, church, he's speaking to the church, are listening to the word. You're, you're hearing words in the synagogue. You're, you're taking uh, words from the apostles and you're sharing them with each other, but there is no effect in your life by this word. He said, many of you are, are treating your religious gatherings f- uh, frivolously. And you're you're doing it for various reasons. Some of you are doing it for friendship and community. And, and one of the things we got to understand in the book of Acts, when the community gathered together, they shared everything in need. So some people were in there just to get their needs met. They weren't in there to contribute. Uh, some people were in it for economic and business reasons. Some people were involved in religious gatherings just to check off the spiritual activity box in their life. How about us? Why are we in this thing called the church? Why are we interested in the person called Jesus? Is it just to make us feel better, like we're just, you know, we're doing a little better? Or is it because we want to be transformed by him? See, to this group, James says, hey guys, stop wasting your time. Quit. Don't come. Don't be fake. He's challenging them. He's getting in their business. He says, You think you're a functioning part of God's body, but it's clear that you're not by the way that you live. How many? That's kind of challenging. And see, he does something really powerful next he he gives them a mirror illustration what's a mirror illustration well in this case the mirror is the word of god and the word of god acts like a reflector and here's what he here here's here's one good thing that the the mirror does see to the loss and to the found the word of god reflects back to them their own sinfulness. And the word of God also reflects back to them the love of Christ. And it it also reflects back to them God's desire to save us and change us and his desire for us to live out God's kingdom rule on earth. That's what a mirror does. And to the believer, it does those things. But to the believer, it also reminds the believer of who they are in Christ. Mirror is very powerful for you and I as a believer. And he gives them this mirror illustration and he says, don't be like a person who gets before the mirror and walks away and forgets who they are in Christ. Do you hear? Don't be somebody who says, Jesus, I give my life to you and I come up and I worship with all of them, but I leave the church and I forget who I am in Christ. Jesus wants you and I to remember who we are in Christ at all times because it's from that place that we have actions of obedience towards one another. See, without our image in Christ, we have no good actions towards others, none, none at all. And he says, don't be like the person who you know who you are, but then you walk away from the word and it's not before long that you forget and now you're not living out the image of Christ. He says, your problem is that you're just taking a quick glance into the word, but you're not gazing. He's saying, church, there's too many of you that just have a quick glance relationship with Jesus. A quick glance on Sunday morning. A quick glance at the scripture that somebody else posted on Facebook and shout a little amen. A quick glance and post that little thing that you read from a couple months ago. But it's not gazing. It's not in it long enough to take effect in you and change you. See, the result of a quick glance kind of a believer is, is a faith that forgets who they are. Yeah. And they can't live their life out for Christ In a world that is not, that is completely opposed to the message of the gospel. Verse 25 in chapter one, he tells them uh, that whenever they look into the mirror, he says, whenever you look intently into the perfect law that gives you freedom, he says, as continue in it. To continue looking. When you step away from the mirror, continue living out the mirror of reflection. Don't temporarily do it, but continue to do it. Don't forget what you've heard, but make sure to do it. And when you do it, Scripture says, you will be blessed in all that you do. How many of you want to be blessed in all that you do? Some of us are looking around at our life and we're wondering where the blessings of God are. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for some of the challenges in your life, but perhaps possibly, James would say to you, perhaps you are not gazing in the mirror long enough to recognize the blessings that are around you. He tells them, when you look into the mirror, that look intently, do it on purpose. Let the mirror reflect back to you your sinful tendencies. Let the mirror reflect back to you your new nature in your Christ. And when you look intently, do it again and again. And do it frequently. And he says, after walking away, remember who you are. Remember who you are in Christ. That will change the, the way that you act towards one another. I love in verse 22, he tells them, now go away and do what it says. <laughs> Look at someone next to you and say, do what it says. I mean, it's just that simple for James. James is like, this is not complicated. The word of God has changed you. It's, he's given you a brand new image. You have the nature of Christ in you. He says you're righteous. You're in union with him. There is no separation. Now do it. Live out the life of Christ amongst people around you. Yeah. The next thing we notice James saying, we're talking about wisdom and obedience today. He says, be obedient in your acceptance of others. The church is known by the wider culture of not being very accepting. Now, I'm not talking about tolerance. I'm talking about accepting people as born in the image of God, a fallen image of God church is not known for doing this very well. And we see in James 2.8, he says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, and here's what the law is, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing it right. See, this was a time where the church was having a really hard time loving their neighbor as themselves. And I I have to believe that it reminded this Jewish audience of Leviticus 19 and 8, because loving your neighbor as yourself was not a new commandment. In fact, it was a really old one. And James was saying, hey guys, let's get back to loving our neighbor really, really well. See, I believe that this question was a challenge to them, a challenge to get back into the mirror and to ask the question of themselves. Am I loving my neighbor well? James goes on in this passage, and he says a couple really interesting things. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. James 2, uh, around verse 2, he, he says this to the church. He says, hey, guys, suppose somebody comes into your church, and they look different from you, and and maybe there's somebody that you're really uncomfortable with. In this particular case, um, Uh, it was, there was a really poor person entering the church and a really rich person. And he was saying, Hey, I've been watching the way that you're treating the people who come through the doors. He said, I'm noticing that some of you are ignoring that poor person and the others of you are flocking towards that rich person. And he's saying, you are showing favoritism towards other people. And that doesn't reflect the life of Christ. See, Jesus is is good at loving all people, not certain people that make them feel comfortable or certain people that can benefit them. How I many you know, if you, you look at the people in your inner circle, a lot of them benefit your life in a really, really good way. But if it's a mutual benefit uh, then, and it's surrounded by Christ, that's good. But if, if you surround yourself with people that only benefit you so that you can squeeze them out for all they're worth and then kick them to the curb, James is saying of you, hey, be obedient in your acceptance towards others. Don't use people. Don't have favoritism towards people. See, for James, uh, loving well is about loving all. Loving well is about loving everybody. Uh, we we, we got to be cautious when, when we read scriptures like this because some people would try to make this a, a thing of acceptance of other people's behaviors and moral standards. No, that's not what James is talking about. He's, he's talking about simply loving people, loving them so good the same way that Christ would love them. In fact, the same way he loved you when you were in your mess. He's saying, we ought to love our neighbors in that way. Here's the principle. The principle is this, that we should not show favoritism generationally we should not show favoritism racially ethnically we should not show favoritism financially we should not show favoritism educationally we should not show favoritism because of someone's gender he's saying we should love our neighbors really really well all of them should have the same opportunity of love from you here's the question for us Do I have diversity in my life in these spaces with people? Are there names of generations that are closely entangled in my life? Are there names of people with different races and different ethnic backgrounds from me and people who have different levels of education and and different genders? Do I have diversity in my life? And James is saying, hey, if you don't have that, you better check yourself. James closes this letter with a a really powerful, this section of his letter, with a really powerful statement in James 2.13. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. All of you who are showing favoritism means that you're casting judgment to the others that are not in your world. And he's saying, I want you to know this, that in the kingdom of God, mercy triumphs over judgment. See, this is a rare commodity today, mercy Towards those we disagree with. Towards those that we don't like. And Jesus, to the church today, and James specifically says this, that it's, it's better to have mercy for those that you disagree with than it is to have judgment. That's a strong word for the church at that time. It's a strong word for the church today. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you and I? How is he calling you in obedience towards other, others? How is he calling you to live a life without favoritism towards certain type of people? And I gotta, I'll be the first one to admit that, man, I struggle with favoritism. I like people who are like me. Do you? I like people who think like me. There's less strife. I like people who are into activities like me, because then we can go do things that we understand together. It's not complicated. Get on a bike and start pedaling. But if you ask me to go hang out with a bunch of artists and you hand me a pen, I'm going to be like, I don't know what to do with myself. Hanging out with you is embarrassing towards me. It is like humiliating to be with you and hang out with you as Kristen, Like is like, just do this. And it's like Van Gogh. It's like amazing, unbelievable. And I'm like a one-year-old, like stick figure. I can't even draw straight lines on a stick figure. When you hang out with people that are different from you, it's humbling. Yeah, it's, it's like going to school and learning and getting an education and doing things different. And that's good for the body of Christ. That is good for you. God's trying to round you out so that no matter who is introduced into your circle at work, in the neighborhood, in, in, uh, at school, that no matter who is introduced in your circle, you will have some intelligence about how to love and reach that person talking about wisdom and obedience, the next thing we notice James says is he says, hey, be obedient with our faith in Christ. So James in chapter 2, verse 14 through 26, James kind of sums up all of the things that he's had to say about wisdom and obedience all the way back in chapter 1. He sums it all up and he says, I want you to have a new kind of faith, a faith with obedient actions a faith that is an obedient faith a faith that is worth something to the kingdom of god it causes us to ask a question and you got to ask yourself this question i should ask myself this question is my faith worth worth it for the kingdom of god is God like, yes, I am glad Sean is a part of my kingdom because I know that everywhere he goes, then my image is reflected. Does he, does he say that about you? I'm glad you're in the kingdom of God because your faith is going to work. But for this audience, that wasn't the case. James was getting in their business. He was saying, oh, you claim to have faith, but I cannot tell it by the way that you act towards others. I cannot tell it by the actions of your life. You are not walking in obedience. There's that word, obedience to the word of God. And James poses this question. He says in verse 14, chapter two, he says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? He's saying, what a waste. What a waste to the kingdom. I told you, that James is given some tough coaching, not coddling. How many know that in our culture today, we don't need to coddle believers today. We got work to do. And James says, what a waste of your faith. He he says, can that faith save anybody? Now, we got to understand that he's not talking about that faith saving you. He He's concerned about others. He's talking about actionable faith towards others. He's saying, can the way that you live and love your neighbors and have actions towards neighbors, can it save anybody? Is anybody going to get some healing by being around you? Is anybody going to be rescued from their life by hanging out with you? Is anybody going to experience deliverance from the power of sin because they've been with you? This is not a question about their salvation. It's a a question about how their salvation is being lived out in a way that brings salvation to others. What does obedient faith look like? Well, as we take a look at Isaiah 61, Jesus shows why he came and what he came to do. And he shows the world what somebody living in perfect obedience towards the Father is going to do for the people around him. And here's some of the things that that Jesus says is going to happen when the perfect obedient one, Jesus, comes down and lives in obedience to the Father. He says this, that good news is going to be brought to the poor. He says that the brokenhearted, that they're going to be bound up. They're going to be okay. He says this, he says, when the obedient one comes, that there is going to be a proclamation for freedom to the captives like never before. He's going to come with a message that's going to say, no matter what your addiction is, no matter what your hang up is, that there is freedom for you. And in fact, he says he is going to release those who are in bondage to sin. And he says, additionally, he says, when that obedient one comes, he's going to comfort those who mourn. You won't have to mourn alone. See, Here's the question that we have to ask ourselves as we approach the scripture, We, we have to ask ourselves, am I that kind of person that declares that kind of message? Does my faith say that to the world around me? Am I that kind of person? If not, James would say this, he would say, let's get down to business. It's time for you to get busy. It's time for you to take another step. It's time for you to stop doing whatever you're doing in your faith journey. Whatever those quick glimpses into faith are like, quick glimpse into the word, quick glimpse into Sunday morning church, whatever you're doing that's not working, stop. Stop. And start doing what will work. Gaze into scripture a lot longer. Here's what he says. He says also to some of those who are really struggling and, and sin is just taking them by captive. James 5, he says, hey, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Your glimpses are not long enough and, and your engagement with Jesus not long enough and you're finding yourself held captive by sin. He says, it's time to fess up. We got to understand that uh, under, under the new covenant, we don't have to confess to be forgiven, but he's saying, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. There's something powerful about bringing our sins out into the light. It brings healing. It gives, it gives the body an opportunity to begin to surround you with prayer, surround you with support, surround you with counsel, surround you with good advice, surround you with good wisdom, And this is not really popular today for people to open their hearts and then submit to the people whom are around them who are trying to serve and help them. That word submit and obedience, it's like a cuss word today. People hate that word. Hebrews 3.17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them. He says, For they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. (laughs) Some people are easy to counsel. Some people it is a joy to pour into because they receive it and they take it in. How, how many know that? You've given advice to a lot of people. You, God has put people in your life that are in submission around you because you are pouring into them. You are a mentor, you are a disciple. It could be a child, it could be a new believer. And some, when they soak it up, it is a joy when they take God's word that you pass to them and they put it to work and it produces good fruit in their life. And some, it is not a joy. It's, it, there's a lot of groaning because you're like, I've given them all advice that I know how to give and I can't give any more. I've I've done everything that I know how to do. It is up to them to take and eat themselves if they want to experience freedom. And that's what James is saying here. See, for some people, walking in full deliverance, it is a a gradual journey. And and it's a requirement for you to stay in the mirror. See, getting spiritually healthy and free will, will require you to submit under authority. Some kind of authority. Be a parent, a mentor, a pastor, small group leader, it will require you to, to submit under somebody who 's going to pour the Word of God into you and this church wasn 't doing things like that; they were struggling. The question for us is, are we all under submission somewhere, or are we unruly? Do we lack obedience? Do we lack discipline? Do we lack good works out of our life, and perhaps if we do it 's because we have not submitted to the authorities that God has placed around us, primarily the word of God. You know, there was a time in my life where, man, I, I struggled deeply with lust in a way that it became a stronghold in my life. And it wasn't until I began to submit myself to God's word, submit myself to the obedience of counsel, submit myself to the, the recommendation of, of help from others and God's word and, and accountability, submit myself to my wife, submit myself to my family. And it was in those places that the brokenhearted was healed. It was in those places that freedom came to the captive was in those places that the bondage of sin were broken. And and I don't know what your story is. I've talked to a lot of people. I know what's in the house. I know what my own struggles are. And Jesus wants to do a work in you in a way that your faith, your profession of faith reflects the image of God to the world around you, that good works come flying out of your life. Write this down in your notes. Faith is invisible without works. Faith is invisible without works. Works are the language of faith. We can shout all day and all all night how we have been saved by grace through faith. We can, we can do it. But if we don't have works, We're no use to the kingdom of God. And works are the language of faith. Our takeaway for today is this. Faith and works are not in competition with one another. They complement one another. We are wise to walk in obedience to this truth.